0: Tobias Carlisle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All
1: opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit Acquire'sFunds.com. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. <laughs> We're running a little late today. Actually, Is it? I don't know. I feel like nothing's happened yet. Yeah, I no, feel I'm like art consumption. Castles, I our consumption. Bouncy castle. Everything off Amazon. All right. We got some folks on. Hey Samson, what's happening, brother? So, what's uh it's 31 March. Uh where's the where's the market? Let's let's do it. Just let everybody know.
0: Nice and settled. Panic is gone. Bye-bye, bye. Dip is in. Bottom.
2: V-shaped, huh?
1: And no,
0: I don't know about
2: that. Th- <laughs> What's ironic is no one likes it for all the reasons why it makes sense. That's right. <laughs> that's the part that's really confusing to me.
1: <laughs> it is bread. Get that bread. All right. I think it's Jake is it your your turn to do that? Your turn to do the intro?
2: Yeah. Let's do it. So welcome back to Value After Hours, uh, V-Shape Recovery Edition, yeah. apparently. Uh, what, uh, Bill, what are you going to be talking about on our segment today? Uh, I'm going to be talking about uh,
0: Restoration Hardware's call. It was super candid and very off the cuff, probably 90 minutes of somebody talking about how they're thinking about uh, what's going on, and it was all Q&A. So I would recommend it as a listen regardless of whether or not people are interested in the stock. Toby,
1: I've been t- trying to work out what the consensus is. The consensus is that the consensus is that the market's going down and coming back up, which means that's not going to happen. That it's <laughs> it's way it's really really confusing. I'll I'll get into it in in a moment.
2: Good, I'm confused already, and uh, I'm going to be debuting a brand new metric for everybody. So let's uh, let's jump into it right after this
1: so I've, I, what I'm doing now is I'm putting the music at the very start so if you're listening at home you'll have already heard that awesome intro but people who are doing it live I haven't worked out how to do that yet sorry dude as long as the outro is still good
0: that's all anyone really listens I forgot, for I anyway. got the outro
1: I've got to put that in there Speaking
0: of which, let's give Jake a quick shout out for a big appearance on the Investors Podcast. However, I take a little bit... <laughs> Nothing that comes a before the butt bit, is... Uh, it, yeah. yeah I, I'm not sure that that's the big league, sir. This is a league. Oh, yeah. I saw that I too. Don't, I saw that too. I mean, you know,
1: it's one thing to shit all over your own podcast but now you got co-hosts to be fair the investors podcast is like the fifth biggest business podcast around and and the other ones ahead of it are like famous people so give them give those guys credit
0: to be fair again sir albert pujols was something cool when the Angels signed him but mike trout's coming up we are mike trout (laughs) baseball
1: references matt lost on me yeah that's fair
0: basically One's old and tired, and we're coming for you. <laughs>
1: no, I'm kidding. You guys do a good job. They do a
2: really good job. And their, their production capabilities are, are a little above ours at this, this stage of the game. <laughs> uh, were you live when you yeah, recorded? Yeah, man, we're going live here. and uh, Live
1: for the people. All right. Uh, who wants to go first? Who wants to take the pain today? Jake
0: does. <clears throat> I nominate Bill. I'm fine to talk. Um, I thought, uh, restoration hardware, I was just saying, I listened to the call yesterday. It was, it was just a really interesting call of the way that they do it. It's, it's all Q and a, so you don't have any of their prepared remarks. And Gary Friedman, the CEO is, uh, somebody that I've sort of gone back and forth on. I didn't trust him at first. And then I, I, mean, he has done everything that he said he would do. So at some point your execution matters, um they've got themselves in a bit of a debt situation that I am confused on. Their 10K today says that they have to settle in cash if their stock price is under 118. Uh I was reading the actual indenture and never saw that provision, so if anybody listening can point exactly to where that language stems from, I'd be greatly appreciative. But um Anyway, it's it's just interesting. It was an interesting call listening to a guy that's in the retail business. He basically laid out the short thesis for all of the apparel retailers and whatnot. I mean, he's like, you know, walk through any of these displays that have any Easter-related anything or any spring color or anything like that. Those companies are just screwed. Like, what do you? You're gonna have to liquidate that inventory for almost nothing. Um, and who 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 is
1: Kind of hit by that stuff. The oh, spring dude, stuff, Like
0: Macy's furloughed Nordstrom. practically their entire. Uh, yeah, Nordstrom. I mean, Nordstrom's got a little bit better online presence, but I think they're screwed too. So I mean, I was long
1: just hammered through this stuff. Of course, unless they yeah, Amazon all your, again.
0: That's right, because all your seasonal,
1: um, hey, you know, traffic is basically gone. Gotta give a shout out to Striker Six Seven Seven. Wife is in labor. Good luck, brother.
0: Oh, yeah, uh, thanks for tuning in, making room for the important stuff in life. I appreciate that. <laughs>
2: uh, maybe, they might want to get out in front of this and uh, roll out their all-black colors for <laughs> for dark days ahead, maybe. Maybe. I,
0: you're a little too pessimistic, man. I'm We're going to be out of this. Um, but anyway, I, th- I thought it was an interesting call, and Gary talks a lot about or did talk a lot about not sacrificing the short term for the long term strategic vision. And he talked about like what Cheesecake Factory did by sending their landlords that letter. Uh, A lot of, a lot of his riffing was about building partnerships for the long term. And how would your landlord feel if, if you did that to them? And it was just sort of an interesting call. Uh, If they have to settle in cash, I, I mean, I think they're going to have to refi, and the debt markets aren't exactly open. They could have to draw on the revolver. That's not an ideal situation. Um, could be what the Icarus you- trade coming home to roost.
2: Is anyone buying furniture right now? Is that a thing? Like, we're stuck in our house, so we're all like, oh, I hate this ottoman?
0: Well, so here would be, if I was going to do a bull pitch, this is exactly what I'd say. Their cohort is prime to work from home, and all of the women in that cohort And I mean, I'm not trying to be sexist here. It's just women drive buying decisions at the house. I mean, they're looking around the house, looking at things that they don't like. We just spent a fair amount of money on sheets, Um, you know, and what kind of thread
1: count did you get, Bill?
0: (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Egyptian (laughs) cotton. You get like a canvas sale. Dude, you got to. I spend where I sleep. That's a lot of your spe- That like a lot of time. You got to get. Uh, you also
1: got to get a second couch now because you got the work couch and you got your your TV couch. So,
0: well, that's so honestly, right? Like your kids are beating the shit out of your house right now because they're not at school. <laughs> so I actually don't think it's that crazy to think that some of people's budget goes into the home. Now you know, will it save a company? That's a bit of a stretch, but I don't
2: think it's crazy. What do you think? Is anyone buying? clothes right now too like i'm wearing the same sweatpants pretty much every day like if you're not dressing up for other people now brent bisho yeah, no, no. had so a good ben comment
1: ex- to that effect he was he, he was like is it zoom leisure or or you know what, what do you call it but i, I was like that's kind of leisure
2: for americans
1: leisure apologies <laughs> you, you, you,
0: you, no it's okay leisure sounds much better
1: you totally derailed <laughs> me but the point is that you only need you only need a shirt now with a tie like you don't need it's pants optional
0: yeah, I don't wear underwear or pants i'm I'm not even wearing them right now. I'm obviously <laughs> so yeah, no, I think spending's collapsed. I mean, you know that's that's the uh I think it's gonna be interesting to see how debt and landlords and equity sort of interact through this because you could have a i mean you could say, well, debt can foreclose on all these businesses. That's A, not really their business, and B, they would have a ton of businesses foreclosing at once. That's not an easy thing to manage. So yeah. it seems to me like the incentives are for people to manage through. That said, uh, when people get you know threatened with losing money, they do some crazy stuff.
1: So I got a good question for you here. It's up on the screen. Restoration Hardware Core was interesting. Do you agree with his point that home goods and experiential retail might have some pent-up demand after this?
0: Yeah, I do. I, I th- look, I think that guy understands. Uh, I mean, I used to hate that idea. I think in November I I went on this huge tirade on Twitter about it or whatever. I, I think he's right. I think he's right on his strategy within that within that segment. I think he's right that physical locations are more beneficial to the economics of that business than going fully online. I don't know if they have to settle these notes in cash. I don't know how they don't face a liquidity crunch unless they can refi. And they're agents like U.S. Bank. That's not a predatory bank. I think BMO was involved in the lending group. If those are bankers, they work with you. If it's credit hedge funds, you got a problem, potentially. I say that not knowing what I'm talking about.
1: It's just how I think about it. How hard line do you think everybody's really going to be on the other side of this?
0: That's what I don't know. But then the question is, do you want to take that risk?
1: You don't want to take that risk, but like you've, a lot of folks have not got that choice at the moment. I mean, a lot of businesses haven't got that choice. I'm not even talking about individuals. <laughs> well, you look at... Re- oh, you so mean as an H. investor, H. do you want to take that chance?
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, RH, you got... Gary's got like four and a half million shares that are vested at a hundred bucks a share. I mean, I... You sort of need him to execute this vision if you're a creditor. Like, you, you really don't want to take over a furniture retailer and just kick it to some schmuck CEO. And he's got 450 million reasons to bargain pretty hard. I do think that, I mean, I, you know, you got to weigh that stuff, but you're making a bet. I mean, it's, it's no slam dunk.
1: What about work? From, what about like just a more global macro question? What about work from home? What does that? What does this do to work from home? Does it make it more likely, or do people just like never again? I'm getting out. I don't really enjoy
0: this right now. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I think it probably depends. But I crave human interaction. This sucks. I don't want to like meet people through Zoom and work from home. That's what the I, podcast I mean, is for. Yeah, that's right. This is the perfect level of human interaction. I am very hesitant to make any bold claims about what a temporary situation
2: does to permanent behavior.
1: That's fair. What about you, JT? Uh,
2: not much to add. I think I agree with, with Bill. I don't, I don't know if we change the world. I don't, I don't know if we change the world dramatically. A lot of us maybe. I, honestly, just sitting down and having lunch with someone... I would be pretty appreciative of that at this point.
1: From a business perspective, it could kind of make sense that if you don't have to pay for all that office space, you can get someone to work from home. I mean, it's it's pretty compelling, I think. Yeah, there's but there's benefits to
0: coming in and like forming a team. I mean that you got know Slack, I, you got
1: Zoom or Skype.
2: I think it email. depends on what. Uh, so if you want to draw this to like biology, um, you know with, let's say like, a, you know why insects can only be as big as they are? It's because they breathe through their, they have holes all throughout their body that the oxygen just kind of comes into and out of. So they can't circulate it into the deeper parts, like having a heart and a circulatory system. So Thank they can only get so big. Well Yeah, no think... shit, right? Like a tiger sized <laughs> ant or something. Fuck that. Yeah. So if you have uh <laughs> let's let's draw then back to the business side. If you have a uh if information is sort of the oxygen of the of a business, you can't get as rapid of of information flow and all the subtle nonverbal communication that happens in person. I, I think there's still I'll buy that. There's still limits to work from home.
1: Well what about like an infrequent get together? Like you come in for lunch once a week or something like that. You work from work once a week. I think it I think it's more probable that you're at work
0: three days a week and home two or something like that. I don't I don't think that work is going to go away. I do think that bosses will be more amenable to, hey, can I work from home this day a week or something? It's slightly better. But um, like I, I think Getting together as a group is still important, and um, I think it was fully synergized on the Twitter machine. It could have been pref shares. Uh, one of them was like, you know, the the point of going to a meeting, right? Like everybody's saying business travel's done. People don't go to business travel because they think it's going to be fun. They do it to show seriousness in the deal. And I thought that that's pretty true, right? It's also I pretty mean, fun. Yeah, well, you don't want to tell your wife that. Don't tell but. my
2: wife that. Shut up, Toby. No.
0: So I thought this is interesting. This is from the guy that started uh, Skift. He said, this is a a Twitter thread. He goes, there's a mass delusion in the travel industry about recovery. Um, Let's see. If my LinkedIn posts, YouTube videos, et cetera, are correct. uh, People are expecting like a V-shaped recovery. There's no V-shaped recovery waiting at the end of this. We don't even know what the end is or what will look like. For now, an L-shaped recovery awaits The luxury of elective travel will have to wait years, maybe a decade, to come back to pre COVID form, if at all. I feel like that's a bit of uh, like ringing the alarm bell prematurely. But dude runs a, I mean, he runs a travel based website. So uh, that's his take. It's, who knows? Stoic thinking about the
1: worst case scenario. Yeah. Well, anyone that says that they know is full of shit. So there's a there's a cool question here. We were kind of kicking it around a little bit before we came on. What do you think about Cantango and buying tankers to play it? Most of them are still selling below book. Jake, went of the Jake tricks, just as uh, that question came in, Jake's going to empty out heard- his pool and fill it up with oil.
2: I feel like uh, yeah, for whatever is it uh, four dollars a a barrel right now in a lot of places. It might. How do we how do we arbitrage that one? Because that feels like it's kind of too low, doesn't it? I mean, just imagine the amazing thing that even a gallon of gasoline does for you, like allowing you to travel 30 or 40 miles or like to actually move something that far. Or or I mean, it's it's actually one of the wonders of the world for us. So the fact that it's cheaper than a gallon of milk right now is is kind of surprising to me. Yeah. That's
0: weird because I thought that it killed all of society and was going to be our doom here, here we are saying that uh gas is actually necessary
1: and maybe a net benefit odd it's it's in it's still like a it, it's still like top shelf uh, booze in in California it's still three bucks something at the at the pump yeah. I know a lot of people like the
0: tankers I don't love saying this name because it's pretty illiquid but I've been looking at tGS and OPEC quite a bit. Uh, if anybody knows anything about that, hit me up on the Twitter machine because I'm interested in doing some more work there. But I, uh, I think there's ways to play oil.
1: Jake, uh, do you want to do uh, your your the Taylor rule, the new Taylor rule?
2: <laughs> it's not that's not the name. the uh, The name of this new metric is the grain of salt index and uh probably should give a shout out to ian castle because i'm sure that he's already thought about this one a million times given his approach but where this came from was i noticed uh in one of the positions that i own that's very speaking of illiquidity it moved uh it changed market cap by 60 million dollars based on the most recent tick for that day and then on that was the volume that, that dictated that was $1,400 worth of transactions. So if you imagine the change in market cap divided by the dollar volume, that gives you an idea of what the grain of salt index is. And the idea is like we're we're taking every single market price with a grain of salt. So the bigger this number, the more that you should probably take it with a grain of salt. So in this instance, for the 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 thing that I was in, $1 of volume drove $43,000 worth of of market cap change. That seems a little bit weird to me. Um, so I don't know if anyone else can come up with a higher number than that one. Uh, but I'm sure that there are some illiquid thing out there that's changed even crazier than that. But it's kind of a fun thing to think about of how, how much should I be taking every up or down tick with a with a grain of salt
1: it is funny though isn't it that there are a lot of companies out there and particularly in crashes you see not you know often there's a lot of volume in a crash at so i'm not necessarily talking about that but often there are companies that are taken down on not much volume and like the very vast majority of shareholders aren't going to sell anywhere near that that's why illiquidity is such a great you know metric even though it doesn't really make much sense. Just illiquidity in and of itself is actually a driver, is a reasonable predictor of returns. You know, in just about everything, housing, like if you look at, you can go and look at housing indexes at the bottom, there's no liquidity. Nobody wants to sell their house when they know that it's way undervalued. The only reason they're selling is because they're forced sellers. They've either got to move for work or they're unfortunately losing their house.
2: Yeah. Bill, what do you think? You got any of those uh, high grain of salt indexes in your
0: I, th- I just think if you're looking at something that's that's thinly traded be careful about you know I mean you you can afford to have your price out there and just throw your bid and and wait for somebody to come ping it and you know if you're used to getting filled quickly and you start to go into the smaller names get ready to not get filled right away and it's totally normal and Sometimes you got to wait for a long time, Um, but I I don't I wouldn't think I think there is a reasonable case to be made most of the time for the big cap names being priced pretty close to
1: you know reality, but um, there's some weird stuff in small cap land for sure. It's tough in debt too. I've got some friends who liquidated a debt book last year, and it's you got to call people up and get their get where the market is from them without tipping your hand that you want to sell to them without tipping your hand that you're trying to liquidate the whole book so that's a that's a, that's a tough that's a tough business
0: yeah you need i mean that's where like a real market maker actually is worth their salt right uh finding blocks and placing them and whatnot
1: do we still have those i thought it was all machines now
0: i think i think in some things
1: there yeah, there are definitely market makers in etfs There are multiple market makers in in, in ETFs. There are leads and there are others. I don't know if it's – I assume it's all automated. I assume they just put a a bid and an ask around where they think the NAV is and just trades around there.
0: I mean, what's been interesting to watch in some of, like, the smaller names that I just sort of look at is, like, some of these things are just – appear at least to be, like, truly orphaned. Uh, And, I mean, like, people just don't want to touch them. So if you can get a capital allocator that actually understands what the heck they're doing, that can turn out pretty well. Like who'd you interview? Is it Stephen Keel? Was that your boy that you had uh is he the one that does the smaller cap activism?
1: Yeah. Balance sheet to income statement? Yeah, that's Steve. He, he, he gets yeah. control of, uh, we well, got control of a, smaller, of a smaller enterprise and he's just working that one out. That's what he does though. Yeah, balance sheet to income statement. Yeah. Shout out to Steve. Hope you're one, you of, the one of the 10. Hope so. You got any more comments on that one? I've got, there's an interesting comment up on the screen. End of last year, every time the market was making all-time highs on trade, talks going well, was on minimal volume. Hmm. That's one yeah, of... Uh, Eric Beltunas has got this... I call it the Baltunas indicator. Uh, he talks about it's not a real sell-off until you get a big spike in volume. And I think he says that like 60, I might get this wrong, 60 million shares, maybe $60 billion. I don't know. It's one of those two. It's like the, once it gets over that level, then you know it, it's a real sell-off. And that was what, he used that in 2018. He was saying there's not enough volume going through for this to be the real thing. And then this time around, he was calling and saying this is a, there's a lot of volume going through. Here, this is like going through SPY. Sorry, he was talking about the ETF and it looked like the real thing.
2: Yeah, I wonder if, uh wonder how the indexation of the world changes this a little bit. You know, if if maybe it's more of a uh, nothing happening and then all of a sudden everyone wants to sail at one time. Like they all kind of capitulate around each other more than when it was a little bit more independent thinking around it. I don't know.
1: What do you make of all of that? The index is not rebalancing. What's that about?
0: I don't know I've what are you this? talking about let's let's take a step back
1: since I'm a noob when
0: it comes to rebalancing
1: so I got to tell you I read some articles yesterday and it was like Reaper I was just like I've got no idea what's going on here so I from what I can understand there are some big pension funds and I think some of the indexes delayed rebalancing so it was the coming up on the end of the month you're supposed to rebalance if you've got a monthly rebal or it was the end of quarter two so there's a lot of quarterly rebalancing going on. For some reason, they delayed the rebalance. I st- and I read the articles. I frankly don't understand it. So, uh, but what I understand, and this is probably wrong, is that, or what I've spoken to some people and what they say is that, you know, because the debt is so illiquid and the debt markets are all blown to bits, if you, try, if you have to, like, sell down some debt to buy some equity or the reverse, it's, it's tough to implement that oh, in yeah. this kind of market. And so Especially last
0: it. week. Last week was... I'm pretty sure it was last week. Whenever I was buying some, some of that debt, this thing, it just blew apart. There was no bid anywhere. It was beautiful. <laughs> you were the only guy in there? Yeah, my bonds, at one point, they were down like 15%. Now they're up 26 Thank you, Fed. Shout out.
1: Well, here's, a, here's another yeah. question. Do you think the Fed will start buying U.S. stocks? They announced that they're buying corporate bond ETFs.
0: Maybe, I don't know.
1: I really hope it doesn't come to that. Like it's I think that there's there's something wrong with the Swiss National Bank being able to just like create a billion dollars in Swiss francs and then use that to go and buy Apple.
0: Yeah, and Google. Yeah, I, I would mean, agree with
1: that. They've got a huge why wouldn't you? Like I, I tweeted this out when the first time that I heard that and you can buy shares in the swiss national bank too i forget the ticker but they're traded somewhere it's like 500 bucks a throw something like that i was like why wouldn't papua new guinea or someone like that who's got you know oil and gas but could print a whole lot of png bucks and then you go and buy a whole lot of like us industry why wouldn't you do that yeah well, joe wisenthal said it because you'd turn your uh, you turn your currency into a trash fire but i, I don't understand why Nobody wants to die on that grenade.
0: Know. No, well, look. This is what I'd say. I so I think that if you were paying attention over the past couple years to certain people talking about debt markets, liquidity was something that they talked about a lot. Um, I am not active in debt markets too often, so I don't. I'm I'm more of a interested observer of this stuff.
2: Tourist, um, I think is the word you're looking for.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, but like So to the extent that the Fed is coming in to provide some liquidity right now, and to the extent that they are stabilizing the debt market, I am much less upset than if you had told my 22-year-old self that they were going to do it. I would be like super pissed off because I was part of the Ron Paul audit the Fed crew. Why do you want them uh, to stabilize it, though? Because I don't think right now... I I don't look these people that are like, oh, just just have the airlines go bankrupt and like that's the equity risk, okay, like that's fine. The other side of that is you got over seven hundred thousand union jobs that are gonna get fucked if you do that. And it's happened before. So if you're stabilizing liquidity for a temporary event and the balance sheet's gonna be impaired anyway, and you're gonna get paid back I don't find it that
1: offensive. But aren't we talking about two different things here? We're talking about the Federal Probably. Reserve diving in and buying equities on one hand. Yeah. And then on the other hand, we're talking about, I mean, the Federal Reserve buying corporate debt. Like, that that's a—that's a, that's still a very long bow from my perspective. Surely, if we want to stabilize an industry, isn't that the role of elected officials rather than the Fed? Yeah, don't well, we I mean, they're statement? sort of
0: outsourcing that. Uh, to the Fed, right? From from what I understand. I mean, I'm not a Fed expert, but I guess, I guess that the reason that I made the connection is I think the question stems from what the Fed is doing in the bond market. And I think the reason that the Fed is doing it in the bond market right now is to stabilize a temporary situation. I don't think... It's a permanent operation designed to depress yields. Whether or not it becomes that, and whether or not QE was that, like we wound back all debate. that
1: QE from two thousand
0: eight and two thousand nine. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the market. That so, what are you going to do
1: about it? Well, I'd rather I mean, that they don't can, do it. There's
0: yeah, nothing. There's nothing I can do about that. it. I can
1: bitch about it on a yeah. podcast. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I the dog, yeah.
2: The dog ate my homework. Too. I can't.
1: I can't vote. I can't <laughs> vote on it. Like I've got no. I've got no. I've got no vote in it. Yeah, well, I mean, look, we don't. I think anybody that thinks
0: that we live in like a perfectly free market probably needs to look at what market we live in.
1: I don't think anybody does think that, but what I'm saying is that I'd like it to be a little freer.
0: Yeah, well, and I guess what I'm saying is I think that it is still somewhat free, and probably isn't going to get to the Fed buying equities.
1: Yeah, okay, that's good. So we got we we got you to we got you to stick your chin out on that one. <laughs>
2: I I will take the other side of that and say that they will at some point.
1: Yeah, I kind of think they within I think the gonna...
2: within the year, I'll even say.
1: Oh, there's a mark.
2: Forty yeah. percent chance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess so. What's the world look like when they do that?
1: Well, it's down well, thirty percent probably.
2: It's a. I mean, it's just to stabilize the perception of prices so that no one wants to we don't get movements in anything that are too big to cause disequilibriums that and really it's a lot of it to me is sort of a dur a duration problem like we have a lot of longer term assets that are levered up against shorter term liabilities and if those two things get disconnected too far because of economic you know dislocations in the meantime. Then there's, these they need bridges to get there, and that's I think that's what the Fed sees its role as. That to me, that's what the repo stuff is 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 fixing the duration mismatch in cash flows for a lot of debt and assets.
1: Yeah, I don't understand repo. I'll have to get you to explain that to me offline.
2: <laughs> I have to probably learn it myself first.
1: All right, let's uh, let's move on to mine, and then we'll start taking some. Oh, we've been taking questions, but we'll start. We'll make a call for questions. So. I just. I have
2: a I have a mailbag question oh, too. When we when we get to that, so.
1: So. I I think this is a really terrible way to invest. I'm just kind of like having fun, just sort of seeing what everybody thinks. Every time I, I point out that somebody thinks that, uh, you know, I think that I've spoken to a lot of people. A lot of people don't think the low is in. A lot of people think there's another low to come. I have no idea. I, I think, it could be up fifty percent or down fifty percent from here. I have no idea. There's there's a gigantic range um and so i just said that but every time i post something like that somebody comes in and says well that's what everybody thinks so i'm going to do i'm going to pretend like it's going straight up like anytime i think there's a new law, i'm going to so i have no idea what the consensus is and it's just like that keynesian beauty contest where you have to guess uh you know what the average opinion is of five girls in the paper which one is the which one is the prettiest and nobody can ever so it's not which one you think is the prettiest it's which one you think the average person thinks is the prettiest i think it's a really tough way to invest and i I'm, I think that the consensus is now that the consensus is everybody thinks a lower low and we finish the year <laughs> higher. I don't know what to do with that information. I think you just get twisted into a knot trying to figure it out. I do think that the better way is just to look at the values. But then if you look at the values, so this is probably going to make it sound like I'm saying lower low, but like the market is historically still pretty expensive on a CAPE basis. So I know nobody cares. Nobody looks at, looks at CAPE and it doesn't work. But It is expensive on a cyclically adjusted earnings basis and we're going to see some lower earnings for sure from this quarter, probably from next quarter, maybe from Q3, maybe even Q4. I don't know how long this sort of pain goes on, but that's the purpose of the CAPE is to adjust for those cyclical earnings, for the earnings cycle, which is why it's sort of somewhat useful. So I... I don't know that we've ever bottomed this high before and it's not uncommon in these big bears if you go and look at them the number of bounces to lower lows is kind of sickening 2007 to 2009 i think i counted 13 or 14 new lows and it would hit a low bounce pretty significantly find a new low bounce again and that was the exhausting thing and i think that the low that came in in like November 2008, I think everybody was well and truly exhausted by that stage. And that was not it. There was one more to go four months later in March. And that was the real heartbreaker for everybody because it did bounce pretty significantly off that low. I just think it's, t- it's not the bear market is not necessarily over because you see a 20% bounce. That's perfectly normal bear market behavior. But as I say, I don't know. If you'd thought that in 2018, you were wrong. 16, you were wrong. 11, you were wrong. So I don't know. What do you guys think?
2: Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's uh, a really difficult game to play of guess the consensus of what everyone thinks the consensus will be of other people's consensus.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's where you get to. Yeah.
2: I've only got like three layers that I can get down before my brain shuts off.
1: What's that? What's the yeah. What's the study where you got to guess two thirds of the? What do you think the? You got to, Your number has to be two thirds of the average to win the game. And so, if you guess sixty six, so say it's out of a hundred. If you guess sixty six, you haven't understood the game. If you guess two thirds of sixty six, you've understood. But you think everybody else is going to guess sixty six, so you think everybody else is idiots. But then whatever two-thirds of 66 is 40 or something like that. If you guess 40, then you've kind of thought far enough ahead that people will guess that's 66. So if two-thirds of that, what does that get you to? 23 or something, is that what you said? So in the 23 scenario, they've, you don't think everybody else is an idiot. You think everybody else is going to go around one time and think, not 100, not 66, not f- but 40 is where everybody's going to land. Even though you know, if, you, if you iterate it, you get all the way to zero. But no, not everybody thinks all the way to zero. So that, that's the other thing. you got to think about the fact that there will be some people who will guess 166 and 40. And I think, you, so the number, what the number falls out at 23.
2: That's, the, I think, I believe the average layers that people go down into the inception, like the dream within a yeah, dream. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, I, it's a very apt uh, game to play. And I guess what it comes down to really is like, how smart do you think the market is like if you think that the market how efficient do you think that it is if is the market very good at sniffing these kind of things out or is it driven by fools and maniacs that kind of uh, that will tell you how many layers sort of do you go down in this meta game
1: (laughs) how do you learn to play 4d chess any commentary bill you in the matrix
2: yeah
0: no, cool. I mean, look, I, I like, I just, I have no idea about the market. I really don't, which is part of the reason I don't want to own the S and P. Uh, I just don't. I, I, I don't know. What I know is that I think that when you can get a fifteen percent or thirteen percent cash flow yield on Liberty Sirius XM, that the probability that that thing trades at a thirty percent free cash flow yield in a zero percent world seems very low to me. Uh, and if most people are either too scared to take risk or are allocating to bonds at four percent, if I get fifteen percent, I'm probably going to end up wealthier over time. If I'm not the most wealthy guy in the world, you know, I guess I'll have to live with that. I'm not that concerned about being that game. So I just think that there are individual names that I I just ask myself like okay, well, what's the probability that this actually goes 30% lower? And what do I have to believe in order to believe that? And then even if that were to happen, where do I think it is five years out? And can I live with that drawdown? And that's sort of how I try to manage, Um, you know, and I, I could be the idiot. I mean, there's a lot of OGs around that are saying like, I mean, like you, Toby, right? You're like, don't, don't blow it all in the first, you know, go down and, there's a lot of guys that have that I talk to on Twitter that I look at, you know, in mentorship type roles, and some of them have been like, "Look, I lived through this in 2000, 2009. Like, we're going lower. I don't care what you think."
1: Well, uh, I don't know that that's happening. I, I'm not. I'm not. I, I think that there's. I think that there's probably more risk of that happening than the market seems to be pricing right now. But like you, I'm not. I'm not buying. I don't mean to put words in your mouth there. I'm.
0: I, I'm more. I'm just thinking like from the market standpoint because people are making that claim ironically in a world where you're paying really high multiples uh now this obviously rests on the presumption that there is a return to this this multiple environment which may be a flawed presumption but the near-term cash flows just don't matter that much to the terminal value because so much is in the terminal value So it's weird. And like when we talk about Cape and stuff, I I just think that I think dismissing it is really foolish. But I also think that not recognizing that there are much better businesses like what happened and a lot of the reason our supply chain is so messed up right now is like we outsourced a lot of those really shitty businesses and kept a lot of the asset light stuff. Um, So that's worth more. Uh, on a multiple basis. Now, is it sustainable and anti-fragile? That's sort of a different conversation. But that's that's how I sort of think about it.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, that's... I, I'm trying to buy individual names here and shorten individual names as well, but that doesn't make for a very good podcast. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. That's fair. I want to argue... Like, the reason I like arguing about the market is because it, it doesn't impact anything I do one way or the other. So, I just... I, I just it's just sport. It's just speculation.
0: I mean, I... You know, I got into it about fucking Royal Caribbean for no reason. I could care less about that stupid ass company. But somebody comes <laughs> at me after it rips like 20 percent. They're like, oh, you are you know, your mom should have taken that advice. OK, dude, like, we'll see. Give me give me a year <sighs> and, and show me. Yeah, well, it's it's funny how people chirp when stocks are up and then they go down and it's as if the argument wasn't even happening. Like, OK, whatever. So to the extent that the market is made up of like asset heavy companies that have operating leverage, I am terrified of all of those. And those I think are, I'm sure people are going to make a ton of money betting correctly on those. That is a tough, tough game right now, in my opinion, because I have no view on duration. I don't know if we cheat and then this virus explodes and then we come back into this. I don't know if we cheat and the virus explodes and people say, Screw it, we're going through, and if we have to walk by dead bodies, that's what happens. I don't know if we actually do this and we succeed. It's just all very difficult when you're talking about high fixed costs right now. It's terrifying to me, especially when you layer on leverage.
1: Well said. I got a good comment here. Verdad came up with a research report saying that companies with high bankruptcy risks tend to be poor stock investments. How does deep value square with this? Also, it's it's almost time. So start throwing your questions and we'll, we'll start answering the questions too. Um, so I would say that I 100% agree with that. And I've written in, I think in almost every book, or maybe we, maybe just quantitative value, you know, you've got to screen out bankruptcy risk. Distri- but the problem with bankruptcy risk is that you only really know about it after the thing is bankrupt. So... You can't hunt for bankruptcy you hunt for distress then you use financial strength to make sure that they're not even trending in that direction using modified version of the f score that takes into account share issuance and other things um i look for earnings manipulation and fraud i mean you want to you, you, zeros in the portfolio are hard to recover from so you want to avoid them unless you've got some sort of option view on it where you it doesn't go down much and then it comes back 10 or 100 times So. Yeah, good question. What's
0: our boy Dan Sheehan say about that? Not bankruptcy specifically, but he had a good comment on position sizing. Uh, And I, I think, not to try to put words in his mouth, but I think that his view on that was like, if you see that and you think that they can survive and you really think that the reward is worth the risk, it makes sense to make the bet, but you can't size it big, right? Because if you size it big and bankruptcy risk occurs, you're screwed.
1: You should, uh, uh, you should, you should, you Kelly waited.
0: He
2: calls it variance drain.
0: Yeah, there you go. Dan's the man. Dan, if you're one of the 10, shout out to you.
2: I think so I've got, I've, I've, I have a mailbag question. Uh, this is it'd be a big, good segue. This is from, from Jonathan, who's a service member in Hawaii. So thank you for your service, Jonathan. Um, he asks if in a, in a bear market kind of situation, uh do you have specific cash that's earmarked for specific strategies so let's say net nets or something like that do you keep part of your portfolio dry for a specific uh value opportunity that may come along did i do a good job of paraphrasing his question so my, i think uh, so i i
1: i don't because i'm all in on one strategy at the moment so i don't do that um i haven't done that in the past either. I like I like a little bit I like the optionality of cash when you test holding cash you almost invariably underperform but you perform with more volatility it's very similar to that Buffett Munger line where he says they prefer a lumpy 15 to a to a smooth 12 like if you have you can if you have a strategy that will give you a lumpy 15 you can turn it into a strategy that gives you a smooth 12 by putting some cash into the portfolio and sort of buying more when it goes down and selling it in a, like a Shannon's demon type um Scenario where when it goes down, you allocate ca- more cash to the um, more cash to the equity, and when it goes up, you take some of the e- equity and turn it into cash.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I'd be careful about allocating to too many different strategies because then you're pretty much just the S and P. Um, but I, I think it makes some sense to have different different strategies that you play in different uh things i mean like my own portfolio i have a fair amount of what you'd call compounders but i have some cigar butts that i'm looking for a puff off of uh just i try not to mix the two uh strategies in my head otherwise you can get yourself into some trouble
2: so for me i uh i think about each dollar as you dollar number one that gets invested is my lowest hurdle dollar that's the easiest one to part with, and my last dollar that's uninvested is the hardest one. it has the highest hurdle and so in my mind, there's a sliding scale that goes from from easiest to separate from me all the way up to like good luck getting this dollar deployed um, and so depending on what the opportunity set then is dictates how much of it do I does gets peeled out that's but that's how I think about it I've never
0: heard of it I love like all my. I love all my soldiers uh, equally. I don't like to sacrifice any of them.
1: <laughs> you don't have pawns? You no, don't send no. the pawns out
0: there? I, well, I guess I sort of do. The pawns run into Nordstrom when I think it's undervalued. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they took an airplane to nowhere. It
0: <laughs> worked out. That
1: worked out. But I'm glad they're not still yeah. in it. That would be bad. Uh, what about Mobison and Santos's counter that long-term Cape Average may be unduly skewed by the late 70s and early 80s? You know, every single decade has unduly skewed it because every single decade has been different from every other one. What about the two thousands when everything, nineties and two thousands when it was earnings were super high? You know, you got to make some assumption about uh, what is normal, and nobody really knows. That's what the cape is trying to do. Like, say, here's cyclically adjusted, inflation adjusted earnings.
2: I, I think this is true of every single kind of data. Call it mining operation but you know in finance we've only had actually let's call it 10 or less maybe true sort of like full cycles to even look at and so that's a very small in and just because you take like a minute by minute measurement of something and you think that you have a million data points the relevant data is more like you know it's under 10 and so you can't draw too much, inference from any data set that is that small but it's the best we have at the moment it'll probably keep getting more relevant as we add more data to the series but i I don't think you should ignore it but you also have to just realize that the the actual data set for a lot of the things that we look at are much smaller than what what we imagine and it's from
1: the us which has been one of the best performed stock markets in the world that The Russian data that ends with uh, Stalin coming to power and the – or Lenin coming to power and the Chinese data that ends with Mao coming to power, like that, that, that would change your assessment too.
0: Good point. I mean, I think you need to also overlay it in context of where we are. Uh, I'm gonna give you a trigger warning politically here, but like it's not too shocking that a reality TV star cheerleading the stock market as the president also coincided with a peak in Cape. Like I, I, don't think that's the craziest thing in the world. On top of tax cuts, on top of deregulation, so plus low interest buy- rates. Yeah. Yeah. So if so, if you're buying into that environment, I think you have to ask yourself. Given what I know about what's going on around me, uh, what is the likelihood that people are being conservative in their underwriting? Now, I think underwriting has come in a little bit. I do think a lot of people are expecting a much more rapid recovery in the economy than I am comfortable underwriting. That said, I still think that there's a lot
2: of value out there
0: in certain places.
2: Here's Here's a fun game. To imagine, if you want to sorry think about it, sorry if I had said One, I don't, I don't think he did. Uh, what, you did. What talk politics? What, you're bound to.
1: Just send those emails What's, straight to Bill.
2: Yeah. To be what fair, is, I'm not advocating a lot of the left either. I did this bad situation all around. What is the cape ratio of the market in the movie Idiocracy?
1: <laughs> Do people know how to buy stocks in that?
2: Sure. There's yeah. They're all indexed. No, dude, they're on Robin trading. they're trading
0: something on Robinhood.
2: I'm sure someone will have some, a clever answer to what the what the cape is in in the movie Idiocracy. Tweet us that answer.
1: Uh, how do you think about the market's fair value? Anybody want to take a shot at that? Bill's going to avoid no. that one. JT, you want to have a go?
2: Uh, boy seems still historically expensive to me especially relative to the perceived risk but the timing of any of that and how more unrealistic it can get uh is i've been humbled enough to not not make those kind of predictions
1: i I mean, mean
0: there's just there's so much stuff out there that's cheap though like really like decent businesses that are trading uh, progressive is one that came up in a conversation recently like that's a good business they are good managers it's trading at 11 p.e. i understand earnings is not a perfect measure but that's like roughly a nine percent earnings yield i it where else are you going to get that uh you know that's like I don't think that's, is that going to be a 4% earnings yield? Is trailing earnings going to decline that much because people are going to stop driving? Like, I just, it's hard for me to understand how that stock has 40 or 50% underneath it. What's but, their
2: What's their portfolio look like inside either.
1: of there? I should so probably that's do more work
2: I've before been I talk shit. About-
0: oh, sorry. I, I, about- I might have
1: misread that question. I think he was asking about Markell's valuation, not the market. No sorry guys well the
0: mar i mean the thing on markel that everybody's worried about Same is this phantom insurance liability right so do you want to get you want to you want to air that a little yeah i think that that people are worried that there's some underwriting that they either have in their policy or that lawmakers are going to try to stick them with and i think that generally uh when people lose money they like to come at insurance companies and given the uncertainty sort of what are you looking at uh you know, I, I would just say, like, you got some really good people over there, and if you believe in the long term, they're probably acting as rationally as you would want them to. Uh, if you like the stock, I don't, I don't. I think the probability that fair value is much lower than here is a is not too high, if that makes sense, right? I think you're probably buying into some pessimism that may be unwarranted
1: and if not it's probably in the price well here's the best time to take the risk adjusted bet it's been more expensive than this most of the time it got 2013 there's a quarter where they might have traded at 80 percent of book for like very very briefly it almost looks like an aberration in the data 2009 they got down to about this valuation like about a week ago was the lowest they've got which was slightly just under book it might have been like 97 i realized this is the ttm book not the updated book but their book is also going to go back up again, too. The, the, I think that they are about as cheap as you're ever going to get them, except for once a decade. So now's the chance, even with all of that other stuff going on. That's why they're cheap. That's why you get the chance. So this yeah, is and not like, investment you advice. Know,
0: Tom's portfolio has gotten whacked, like all of ours. So that's going to come out of whatever people think like the look-through value is. Is that a permanent impairment? He's going to be buying shares today, he's going to be buying shares tomorrow, and he's going to be buying shares the next day. I think if
1: you're long-term bullish on America, it's not the worst bet to make. How do you know you're ready to pull the trigger on an investment and avoid analysis paralysis? Great question. Jake? That's a good question for both of you guys.
2: My process is more to... Accumulate slowly and keep learning more as I go, and not assume that I have it all figured out. It's not a binary thing for me. Um, that has tended to be annoyingly ineffective in these just every dip bouncing off of, you know, you just start yeah. to get excited about something, you buy a little bit of it, and now it's gone. Um, that sucks. But there will be another point someday, I don't know when, where. Moving slowly will allow you to accumulate a lot more shares at even better prices and better understanding all along the way. And that'll be a good time for me uh, with my process. So it's really kind of where, how comfortable can you get? I don't I don't like Binary as much, um, but like I said, it has its downfalls as well.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't really know how to answer it because... You know, my beloved uh, airline investment, may it rest in peace. Uh, I mean, that took a long time to get comfortable with. And turns out I shouldn't have been comfortable. Um,
1: uh, Give you credit, though. You did change your mind and change the position. So I, I respect that.
0: No, I know. I know. It's it, Look, you. you it, I think a lot of stocks, uh, a lot of stock selection is very similar to underwriting insurance. And you put the bet out and then you see whether or not, like, I mean, there's always a distribution of outcomes I, I think anybody that thought that this distribution was definitely going to happen is lying to themselves. So, but you can only play one, one path. Um, so I, I don't know. It just, it depends how much I know about something. Uh, it depends whether or not I've followed them before. Like, it, you know, I'm probably more comfortable with the Liberty complex and a lot of people might be because I met those guys. So if there's a quick dislocation, I'm, more comfortable moving into that than I would be on a name that I don't know anybody on. I think it's just sort of accumulated knowledge and each situation
1: seems different to me. You like to get to know management personally?
0: Uh, <laughs> probably. A-L-E-S-S- yeah. Well, fuck <laughs> you. you go
1: to Berkshire all the
0: time. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I think that there's, uh, there are definitely cognitive biases that, uh, enter the process when you start to meet some of the better
1: sales you learn stuff you don't know too so it's that's the that's the that's the uh balance that's the balancing act right
0: yeah and i also think that you end up like with tom russo's capacity to suffer when you're able to put a face to a name and understand how the person thinks about something it's easier to stay in something uh in
1: my opinion right like so it just depends uh, just while Jake recovers from the big C, uh, here's another question. What does the giant unemployment rate spike mean for the markets now and in the future? Are you guys worried? I know a lot of people being laid off and furloughed in Seattle from bread. Yeah, uh, that Polish. is absolutely terrifying for me. Yeah, I'm. I'm a, the bounce, like the stock market loves it, but yeah, it's... I think there's genuine underlying damage to businesses and to individuals and I think that that takes time to repair. Um, so I don't know that there's going to be a lot of growth for a while. I think that probably we're going to be doing a lot of repairing from a lower base. I don't um, I don't feel particularly good about that for the next few quarters but I, I honestly don't know and I'm, I probably tend to being a little bit more pessimistic than, than folks.
0: Best way I know how to answer this is to like how my money is expressed. I am in big, for the most part. I'm in a couple small things, but most of what I'm in is big. And the fundamental reason is I think that this is going to undo a lot of the progress that was made on small verse big, wealthy verse poor, all that stuff. I think is going to get blown out of the water. And I think that it's uh, it's a terrible, terrible shame that the people and businesses that were struggling to make it are going to be the ones that are hurt the most here. And uh, whether or not, you know, it's Restoration Hardware's core consumer can work from home and collect their check and be fine, and the waitress can't, or whether it's, you know, uh, some big exploration and production oil company can actually survive this and all the small guys get obliterated. I don't really know, but I, I, I think that access to capital is going to determine competitive position in 12 months and i think big gets a lot more access to capital unfortunately i hope i'm wrong but i don't think i am
2: i would be curious to see a study of 2015 to 2020 lobbying dollars correlated to future returns of 2020 to
1: 2025. there's big roi in that money that's the uh that's the it's best it's huge best i actually money. did this
2: yeah. I did this one time, yeah, with TARP, uh, and I, I just looked at, okay, let's, it was very simple, but, you know, who got most of the money, and then how much did they spend in lobbying efforts, and the returns were just, ask, like, sickeningly astronomical. I can't remember what the exact numbers were, but it was, like, I don't know, 1,000 baggers more, like, 10,000, I mean, it was...
0: That's what you want out of your capital allocation.
1: Yeah, that lobbying money's—that's big return money. So, last question. First thing Disgusting. I look at is usually the long-range charts. Do you find this useful, or is it a bad practice as a value investor? So, I don't use it at all in my process. I'll say that. But I would be lying if I said to you that I didn't pull it up, pull up some ratios, and look at the price earnings, price book, price to cash flow, just to get an idea how close I'm buying. To their low in terms of those, I do that all the time. It doesn't factor into my process, but yeah, I'm guilty of it. But not not to the, not the price returns. I don't care about those.
2: Yeah, I mean, I like that too. Where um, Guru Focus, shout out to them, have this cool little thing where it'll it'll show the the price to book or price to earnings or whatever metric, and then the highest it's ever been, and then the lowest it's ever been. So you have these like bands, and you can see kind of where has it traded within the bands of highest versus lowest? And I'm guilty of that anchoring bias of wanting to look for ones that are down at the bottom of their you know lowest band. Well, I think it
0: sort of depends, too, on the company. Like, uh, this one crappy company that I follow for no darn reason. Uh, Actually, I mean... No, it's not. It's this stupid, intrepid potash. I should just stop looking at it. Uh, It's like this junior freaking potash miner in New Mexico. I don't even know why I care about them. It's uh, emotional. But, like, price to book makes sense to that, right? I mean, that's like you're basically buying at a discount to replacement cost if you think the assets are worth anything. Um, I I look at. uh the relative valuation over history as to where where the assets traded and try to figure out like whether or not there's a reason that it's changed or if it's temporary or if the group has changed i like to look at how comps have traded um i I think that that makes a lot of sense because a lot of the times like lvmh for instance that asset doesn't i mean fundamentally hasn't really changed over the last 5 years it's it's maybe gotten stronger had some tuck-ins whatever but i do think that looking at how that traded over the last 5 years can give you an indication of how much its like current heat or coolness is in the name
2: how do you square that with your 52 week high versus low hunting list uh i i
0: have stopped looking at lows as much i i mean i i would be more inclined if something was definitely at the bottom of the list to ask like why has this not gone anywhere and especially on a 10-year chart or something if if the stock hasn't moved at all I think you really got to ask yourself why you're right at this point in time versus everyone that's thought it
1: over the last 10 years I now there say, there could be that's been like a very had legit winners doing that that's looking yeah. at stuff that hasn't moved like Walmart hadn't moved for like a decade or more when I looked at it and it was just cheap. And I think a lot of things... What, what happens is companies get way ahead of themselves and spend a decade getting back to a fair valuation. No, and then everybody no, looks no, at it and says... Prices
2: get ahead of yeah, the business itself. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry,
1: that's what I mean. And then yeah. everybody's like, well, I'm not going to touch this thing because it hasn't done anything for a, a decade. But quietly underneath, it's grown into its valuation. All of a sudden, it's really cheap. That's okay. a good time. And, and there's, there's no scenario- vol in the options. That's the best thing. There's no vol in the leaps. So you can get nice big fat calls in them
0: but in that scenario if you pull up a long-term chart the chart is way up into the right right and then what it's done is it's consolidated its valuation
1: blow off over time and people have given up like that
0: makes sense to me
1: i mean look at a decade of walmart before before like two or three years ago hadn't done anything
0: no doubt. I agree with you. And that's actually part of how I screened and found Starbucks uh, before it had its breakout. It didn't go anywhere for five years. Same thing with Disney. Yeah,
2: I, so I do agree like with you. Principal example of that.
0: Yeah. But like I don't think like there you're not taking up a 20 year chart and seeing something that's gone from the top left to the bottom right corner and being like, oh, I'm the one that's right right now. Right. It's just sort of I think you just got to understand the story. we're the only ones left
1: it's <laughs> no, <I>, time <laughs> alright thanks for dialing in everybody we'll, uh, we'll see, see you, you next week. week stay safe, stay well stay quarantined
0: the, uh, the panic has subsided nobody wants to stay anymore
1: <laughs> makes sense
0: Shake it up! Stop when the clock hits thirteen. Sing one, two, three, four. Cause, cause, cause.